Well, it, it is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. And if you haven't already, I'd ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in verses 25 through 34 as we consider the call for calm. There's a human condition we're all familiar with. One that has doubts, questions, and fears about the unknown. We, we just want to hear the sweet, sweet promises, as one theologian put it. And he put it this way. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. Never going to make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie and hurt you. You've been rickrolled. And also, for those of you who don't know what I'm saying, it's a reminder, I think. It's a reminder to us that we have just the innate desire to know that everything's going to be okay. Perhaps your words are closer to Rihanna's. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to feel. I don't know how to cry. I don't know why, so what now? I always find it remarkable that the poets and artists of our day often put our story and our need and desperation just as clear as the Psalms do. And make no mistake about it, we have a need. A need for calm. We have a need for an assuring word. We have a need to hear that there is a word for the messy, seemingly ever-increasing, insane world that we find ourselves in. And by the grace of God, Jesus has a word for you and I. Our main idea this morning is simply this. God's character and his providence, providence curbs our anxiety. And I think we're all pretty good about denying our anxiety, especially us men, in admitting of fear, depression, feeling overwhelmed, struggling with mental health that's long been stigmatized, especially in the church at large, which, which is too bad when you think about it. The body of Christ is supposed to be the one place where we can confess struggle and imperfection. It's supposed to be the one place where a hospital full of sinners and weary saints struggling with life and faith, we come together and we speak the truths of the gospel and we build one another up. Jesus, he doesn't allow us to sit in our sensibilities and pretend. Here in this passage, he initiates a conversation for us so that we can freely do the difficult work of understanding how kingdom living and the cares of this world are intimately connected. So I'll remind us here that our chapter divisions and the headings in our Bible do us no favors. Our passage is not disconnected from the passage we looked at last week or the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Our cares, our faith, God's work, and our response are all tied to earthly and heavenly treasures. A healthy eye and a healthy lens on our anxiety and God's care is required. Jesus calls us to calm. So would you read with me, please, in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. 
Our Lord Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, this is God's word. In our first consideration in this passage, in this call for calm, is the cares of our heart. Now, it's hard just even admitting that we have cares on our heart. Things in this world that bother us or concern us, often we will play it down, which falls very neatly into our tendencies to gravitate towards extremes. Either I pretend I have no cares in this world and everything is fine, or I'm consumed by the cares of this world and it's all I think about and it's all I talk about. As the scripture often does, we see a middle way laid out before us here in our passage. So Jesus, in verse 25, he opens the door on our cares and he gives us a, a command. Do not be anxious. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea to be considered. It's an imperative. So Jesus says, I've come up on this mountain. I'm the better Moses the better King David, and I'm giving you a kingdom way and a kingdom law to follow. And I'm telling you, do not be anxious. I appreciate a couple other translations here. Do not worry. Do not fuss. And this certainly falls in line with what we looked at in the passage last week. Do not store up earthly treasures. Hold this world loosely in your palms and in your minds. Don't be careless, but be more carefree as you journey in life. The heavenly treasures are what lasts. Now on the face of this, uh, this command on the face of it, do not be anxious. I don't appreciate this command very much. 
I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but that's how I feel about it. And maybe I'm not the only one here. This command is one that is easy for me to pay lip service toward, but incredibly difficult for me to internalize, to apply to my heart, and joyfully follow as I navigate life. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Care less about this life. Well, I I wrestle with this command for two reasons, and maybe you can relate. Reason number one. I'm commanded to care. I'm told from the scriptures to be marked by diligence and integrity. I'm told to love others, to pray for leaders, to nurture my kids, to lay down my life for my wife, to disciple those that God puts in my life. I'm told to care for the orphan and widow, welcome the sojourner and stranger. I'm told to abstain from evil and pursue righteousness. I'm not allowed to not care. And you aren't either. We've been placed in a world and in a space and time to steward and leverage our lives well for God and for others. In fact, I think we could argue that we don't care enough. We all fall short in many of these categories. That's one reason I struggle with the command. I care a lot. Second reason is, I wrestle with this command because I'm frail. I'm tired. I'm doing the best I can, but there's so much going on in my life, and there is in yours too. My time, thoughts, and the affections of my heart are pulled in a thousand different directions. You see, God has created us in his image. We are to reflect him as we live in this world. So especially if you're here and you've become a faithful follower of Christ, Your heart should feel as God's does. So your heart breaks over your own sin. Your heart breaks when you see shootings on the news. Your heart angers as you see injustice in our world or in the government. Your heart pleads with desperation as you try to balance work, life, and the questions that we ask from verse 25 and verse 31. (laughs) How am I going to have enough to eat and drink? How am I going to buy my kids more clothes? And the questions of verse 25 and 31, they don't reveal an exhaustive list of our cares, but they simply display the reality of our cares. With Jesus, we do not have to pretend we don't care. He knows we do. We don't have to pretend That we don't all walk around with a measure of anxiety and worry in our life. We do. We may do a good job of coming to church on Sunday and dressing nice and telling everyone, we're fine. How are you? I'm fine. How are the kids? They're fine. Work? It's fine. But the truth is, and Jesus initiates the conversation here for us, we have a lot on our heart and mind, don't we? It might be prudent here to also remind us that the cares of your heart, what you care about, what you are anxious about, what burdens your heart and soul may be different than the person next to you. Things will weigh on each of us differently. So a question I've had to ask myself this week is this. Do I have grace 
for the person next to me who has more or less anxiety about something than I do. Because we want everyone to feel the same way we do about our thing, right? So what do you worry about, kids? Are you worried about the end of the school year? I mean, probably not worried, but like you want it to happen, right? Are you worried about how you look or how God has uniquely designed you? Are you worried about where you fit in and what your true identity is? Kids, are you anxious about the things that you see in your family, trying to figure out the future? God sees you. He knows. And adults, we're no different, are we? Still worrying about how we look. Our anxious thoughts may feel more grown up, but at the core, they're the same. So what do we worry about? We worry about our kids. We're worried about an ever-changing culture where you're increasingly in the minority position. We're anxious about our health, relationships, paying the bills, retirement, and planning the final season of our dangerous journey of life in this world. He sees. He knows. The cares of our heart are many. So how? How do we follow this command? Do not be anxious. How do we not worry or be anxious? And so we come to the heart of our passage And we don't just have the cares of our heart, but we have the provision of our God. Jesus points our caring and heavy hearts to a few examples of who God is in his very character and how he acts, moves, and provides in this world. So verse 26, we're told to look at the birds. They don't store up earthly provision, food, or treasure, and yet God cares for them. The lilies of the field, verse 28 the grass of the field, verse 30, God manages, clothes, provides, and he cares for them. And the repeated and rhetorical question is, aren't you more valuable? Won't he too clothe you? Fundamentally, isn't our anxiety our worry, the good cares of our heart, and even the caring of things that don't matter? Insert Minnesota Vikings joke here. Aren't all these things centered on our lack of faith in who God is and how he will act? Verse 27, our anxiety won't solve or fix any problems in life. Most certainly we won't add any more hours to the day. And believe me, I've tried my entire adult life to make verse 27 say the opposite. If I am just anxious and I dwell and I think and if I'm consumed, maybe I'll get more time in the day. Maybe I'll fix it. But it doesn't work, does it? The end of verse 30, O you of little faith. Jesus connects our fear and worry with unbelief. It's the same thing that he says in a passage that we'll look at later this fall in Matthew 8. The disciples find themselves in choppy waters, quite literally, as they think a storm on the sea is going to kill them. That's him calling right now. And in that storm, they frantically wake Jesus up and they say, save us, do something. And his response 
Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? See, with these disciples and with us, when we cry out to Jesus to save us in the midst of the concerns of this world, is it that we don't have faith? Or that we don't know how to apply that faith? Perhaps it's both. For some of you, you're not faithful followers of Christ and you need to apply a first-time kind of faith. In the midst of your cares and cries, it's not, God, I think you're out there. Please do something. I have faith. That's not the faith of the Scriptures. The faith of the Scriptures is believing in the finished work of Christ on your behalf and pleading with him that he would apply that to your heart in this moment. And those of us, we might have some measure of faith, I think, if we're bringing it to him. So here's a word to those of us who are brave enough to admit that we have fear and worry mixed with a healthy hope and anticipation of God's working and even God's returning one day. Here's, here's the word of encouragement. You're normal. You're, in fact, quite sane. Now, some of us might be a little strange, but you're okay. If you find yourself in between the tension of anxiety and faith, worry and trust, then you are what we call, I think the biblical word is, human. But notice the nature of God's provision. I think Jesus says it a little implicitly in verse 25. Look again. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now look down at verse 32 again. Gentiles or or those who are unbelieving, those not following God's ways and laws, they worry. They're full of anxiety about the cares of this world. And your heavenly father knows what you need. So if God knows what you need, if he's telling you that life is more than what you can touch and see, what exactly is the nature of his provision? You see, I can drink a double espresso, and I do so often. I can feel the holes in my kids' sneakers. I can taste the ramen noodle and fried egg creation I've concocted. I can see my bank account balance. I can see a culture changing around me. So God, if life is more than this, if there's more than what I see, and if it is more than what I find myself anxious, worried, and rightly caring about, if there's more than this, what exactly are you talking about, God? What do you provide? This passage is an appeal to the kingdom follower. Those who know, trust, and submit to Jesus, those who are truly born again, those who would be so marked by this kind of life that they would be called little Christ followers or Christians. To those, see that your provision goes deeper than what you will eat and wear. Your provision is not found simply in circumstances, but in a person. God himself is your provision. You have what you need because you have someone, the one. 
You don't avoid worry because you're a guaranteed a five-course meal to be provided. It's not that you don't avoid worry because now money will just fall from the sky or because your preferred political leaders will be put in place. You don't avoid worry because your marriage or family situation will be magically cured. You have what you need because you have him. You have the God of this universe sovereignly, providentially, mysteriously, and supernaturally caring for the needs of your life. So whether you are poor or rich, young or old, healthy or dying, in a mansion or a shack, starving or full, Republican or Democrat, male or female, Chevy or Ford, extrovert or introvert, no matter where you find yourself this morning, there is great grace for you in the gospel of Christ. There is provision for you. You have what you need when you have him. He offers himself. He provides himself. He brings you to himself. The provision of our God is the gifting that we truly need, whether we want it or not. Your circumstances, your relationships, your questions, your anxious thoughts, fears, and right concerns. He's got you. You are where you are, and he's got you. So may we put into practice what we heard this past summer as one of our shepherds, Kirk Langenfelder, led us through Psalm 55. Cast your burden in your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. We serve a kind God, do we not? We can freely admit that we are anxious and concerned and that we have also been provided for abundantly here and now. He doesn't merely offer us some little token of grace or provision. He's given us himself. The Savior who lived a righteous life for us, died a sacrificial death in our place, rose from the grave conquering sin and death. He has given us himself. And when we get him, when we get him, we get it all. We get the bag. We get it all. Forgiveness, a new heart, a someday eternity, but here and now in this life, while we still journey on as weary pilgrims, we get him. God with us and in us, and he truly provides for the cares of our heart. Lastly, we see in our passage the response of our faith. We have a lot of cares He graciously provides himself, and yet this morning, each of us are called to a response, to an action. So look again at verse 33, the life verse of our brother Larry Olson, who recently went home to be with the Lord. Verse 33 again says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a contrast here. The verse before, verse 32, the Gentiles, those who don't know God, or perhaps they think they know God, but they don't really follow him. Those who don't know God, they worry about the cares of this world. 
Those who don't know God are worried and anxious without thought or trust in God's leading and provision. But, but, in contrast, but you, those kingdom followers, those who would hear these words and obey them, seek first the kingdom of God and it will be all taken care of, he says. Here's how one of my favorite translations puts these final verses in our passage. Uh, The message puts verses 30 through 34 this way. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I think this frames our response of faith well. As I've said many times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is calling us to live in something of attention. Attention. I know nuance is lost in our day, but two things can be true at the same time. Live in this world with all its cares and concerns. Be faithful in the life that God has given you and seek first another kingdom. The kingdom of God. Put your hope, faith, resources, and attention to that first and foremost. And God will take care of the rest. He will. We might be prone to say these verses, but live the opposite. Our tendency is to seek first the kingdom of preference and self. If I pursue the things of my life and the world to fit what I believe to be ideal... Well, once I accomplish that, then I'll give a nod to kingdom realities in heaven. Heaven seems a far way off, and what seems more pressing is that I take care of business here. I know what I need, and more importantly, I know what the world around me needs. So our life verse may very well be this. Seek first the kingdom of self and the kingdom of my own spin on the world. Work hard, care deeply, take action, because if you don't try hard enough, things won't work out the way that you want. The concern, seek first the kingdom of God. The concern that rises up in my heart and maybe yours is that if we apply Jesus' teaching, I mean, if we really apply this in the depths of our heart, the concern is that we'll have failed perhaps to uphold our end or either God won't come through. If we seek the kingdom, if our time, resources, attention, and lives are more oriented toward Jesus and his gospel realities, the worry, the worry is that there won't be enough time and attention given to the cares of this world. 
the worry underneath our application of this verse is that God won't provide for the cares of our heart. If I seek the kingdom, who will put the work in? What about the things of this world? What about my life? What about the things that I see broken around me? Brothers and sisters, this is not a call to live with your head in the clouds. This is a call to live in tension. Your feet are planted on the ground, but your heart, loyalty, and ultimate attention is given to the kingdom of God. God, he provides himself. God will move and work in your concerns. God will prompt your heart and the heart of others around you to action. God has always cared for this world, and he still does. As you and I are shaped by the gospel, as we seek the kingdom of God, as the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 become more and more a present reality in our everyday lives, we will see a great work of God in our life, in our families, in our church, and in our communities. More importantly, the gospel, it shapes us. It readies us for our true homecoming. We live in a temporary world. And kids, the time goes quick. Don't store all your treasures. Don't put all your cares in what is produced in this life. Verse 34 puts it well. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop it. Let tomorrow worry for itself. Trust in the character and the provision of God. Trust that God is still at work. Trust that the Spirit still blows like the wind and changes things today. Trust that your prayers, your faithful surrender to God, your allegiance being given to a heavenly kingdom, it's all part of God's good work and redemptive plan for us in this world. I'd like to close by sharing a personal confession. I am an anxious man. I worry so much. Some of it is my vocation, but very little of it, if I'm honest. I have a life where I jump into the cares of others every day, and I'm grateful to do it. But most of my anxiety is in how I'm wired, my temperament, and even my personal sin. I may not express anxiety in how I speak, and I know I have something of a stoic and sober disposition. But I struggle to sleep at night. I have endless previous and potential conversations that run through my mind. I worry about people and circumstances. I seek to solve the problems of the world in my head. I get into potential, potential arguments that could happen in my brain. And don't worry, I always win those arguments. I agonize over people being upset about some expressing a loyalty to God, but they're not really living for him. Or 
for those who fail to see their true need of Christ at all. I worry about being a good father and a faithful pastor. I care about laying down my life for my bride as Christ did. These are my worries. They may not be yours, but they're mine. And I need the Lord to do the impossible. I need him to remind me of the call to calm. The call to trust. The call to submit myself to God's kingdom ways and the promises of joy and satisfaction that meet me. That meet me when I center my life on him and not myself and not my circumstances. God's character and providence, it curbs my anxiety. And I think Jesus shows here that it will curb your anxiety as well. So may God help us to truly seek his kingdom first and trust in his righteous character. Uh, Allow me to close. I already said that once. This is the second close. Uh, Allow me to close with a... with the words of a couple songs I listen to often, something of a mixtape. Uh, kids, uh, a tape is a thing. Um, just Google it. Just Google it. Sarah Sparks, Psalm 131. Another night I'm awake in my bed. There's no sleep in sight with the war in my head. And I find my thoughts rising up instead of waiting upon my God. By 3 a.m. I'm praying for sleep, for the sun rises soon and I've had no relief. Here making war, but I'm desperate for peace and desperate upon my God. I'm asking, what is the meaning of this? Your thoughts higher than mine, but your plan I resist. So I find my thoughts in the shape of a fist shaken angrily. At my God. But my eyes are not raised too high and my heart is not lifted up. I will calm and quiet my soul, and I believe. Help my unbelief. This simple song is my own lullaby when I find my voice hoarse because I keep asking why. Less of a question and more of a cry of a child to a holy God. King's Kaleidoscope, side B, says it this way. Side B is the second side of the tape. <laughs> I've been anxious. I can't sleep. Worthless worries burden me. I hunt the sun, chase the wind, till my tired, tired spirit spins into the ground. When I try to take control, fear and terror grip my soul. I need joy. I need peace. I need rest. I need relief. I look to you. And you teach me to seek your kingdom. Seek your righteousness. See the ravens. They can't farm. Don't have silos, trucks, or barns. But our God sees their needs and he loves them and feeds them every day. See the lilies, how they grow. They don't work. Or buy their clothes. But if God, by his grace, clothes the grass with great array, then how much more is there in store when I seek your kingdom, when I seek your righteousness?
brothers and sisters, would you pray with me that we would be faithful followers of Christ in the midst of a world that's full of cares, that we would look to the provision of our God in the gospel of Christ, and that not just today, but tomorrow, on a Monday, we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he would take care of all the concerns that we have. Pray with me. Father, that is a big prayer. And Lord, sometimes we pray that prayer and we wonder if you're up to it. Are you able, God, to meet us in the midst of our need and mess? Do you care? Do you see? Are you real? Are you at work? Oh God, show us. Press into our minds the teachings of Jesus that promise us great joy and satisfaction and the things that we need will be met when we seek you. So God, I don't know what seeking your kingdom may look like for each of us in this room. But it starts with, as the Beatitudes do, with being poor in spirit, recognizing a need, and hungering and thirsting for you to meet that need. Lord, please do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.